We began a series in Acts uh, last week, and I want to continue there, uh, beginning at verse number 12 of Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to read through chapter 2, verse 13. So listen listen to the Word of the Lord this morning. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount, of, uh, Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all, about 120, and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who, came, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out, and became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, a keldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate, let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office." So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. They put forward two, Joseph called Basabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. They prayed and said, you, Lord, know, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And the divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. (laughs) This is the Word of God. Thanks be to our God. Let's pray. Lord, we need you this morning to speak to us by the power of your Spirit. We need you to encourage our hearts and strengthen our faith. We need 
you are, O oh Lord, to come to speak to each one of us as we sit under the authority of your word. And we need you to do that work in us, making us more like yourself. And so we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come, that you would speak, that you would encourage, that you would strengthen by the power of your spirit to the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray and ask this. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I was reading something the other day about division in the church, and I want to read part of what this person said. They wrote, they said, I read about a church that split, and that split began over an argument uh, at a potluck supper when a lady brought a congealed salad she made with Cool Whip instead of real whipping cream. There's a book, this person said, entitled War in the Pews that talks about real-life instances which are absolutely outrageous. Churches have split over whether the pianist should sit to the right or the left side of the podium, over whether the Lord's Supper should be served from the front or the back, over trying to decide whether a kitchen should be a part of a church building or not. And of course, uh, we could add, we could add to this list a number of other reasons, some of which may be rooted in substantive disagreement over theology and practice. The reality is that divisions threaten the church all the time and have throughout the course of the history of God's people. And the early church was no stranger to those actions that create division. Here they were, in fact, sitting in the upper room, waiting for the promise of the Father, which Jesus had told them to wait for, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them with power to be His witnesses, witnesses for Jesus as He had told them they would be. When they had just witnessed days, and what they had just witnessed days before was an act that sought to destroy all that Jesus had been proclaiming God had come to do through Him. The Scriptures had foretold it but it must have still been jolting to experience. One of their own number, Judas Iscariot, had just a few days before, a few weeks before this day, betrayed the Lord, leading to the Lord's arrest and trial and death. And the disciples themselves, as a result of this, had fled from their Lord at the moment of that arrest. The sheep, if you will, had been scattered. It was a tragic act on Judas's part, one that was in part rooted in his love for money. Remember, we're told, in, uh, told after Jesus spoke of giving all to the poor, we're, we're told that, Jesus, that Judas was the one who carried the money bag. <laughs> what had Judas done with that money? Well, according to Luke, the money he had received from betraying Jesus, he bought a field with it one from which he expected to derive some profit, only he met a tragic end, dying a tragic death on the very field that he had bought with the wages of his wickedness. And his actions, which led to Jesus' arrest and his trial and his death, did not accomplish their desired end. Instead, God, having determined from the foundations of the earth 
that his son would be slain for the sins of his people to save them from that sin and from the wages of that sin, which is death. By the power of the Spirit, he raised his son and our Lord from the dead, and he seated him far above all rule and power, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that scattered flock, well, here they are, part of them sitting in the upper room. There were about 120 of them, but remember, Jesus appeared to over 500 of them after his resurrection, which suggests that he had followers in other places who weren't in the upper room. But here they were, the apostles, as well as some of the others in the group, having seen their resurrected Lord, the apostles having spent 40-plus days with him as he spoke to them about the kingdom of God seeing him taken up in glory. Here they were, not divided, but what? Together. (laughs) The whole context speaks to the unity of the group, both before and during the events of Pentecost. There is a spirit of unity, if you will, that gives shape to the whole context of the passage that I just read to you as they wait for the promise of the Spirit of God to come upon them. And it is this unity, this, this unity and the shape of it that I actually want to speak to us about this morning for just a few moments. It is this unity, brothers and sisters, that has to shape our own witness in this world, has to shape our own life together as the people of this church, and not just as the people of this church in this congregation, but together with our brothers and sisters around this city who name the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is this unity that Peter and Paul themselves would fight for, and together with the other writers of the New Testament, call the church to. Their togetherness, brothers and sisters, isn't just a fact of the text. It is what is meant to give shape to the life of God's church and our witness in this world. Amen. So, what is the shape of this unity? Well, first of all, we see them in this text united in prayer united in prayer. After listening to the names of the 11 apostles who were in the room, leaders of the early church, Luke writes, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Listen both to the members of the group as well as what they were doing. Listen to the members of the group as well as what they were doing. The the apostles weren't alone. The women who had been traveling with them and Jesus for some time were there. These are, many of them, the same women from Luke chapter 8 who had gone up from Galilee with them to Jerusalem. We read in that text, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 8 of Luke, soon afterward he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Luke mentions here in Acts again that these women were with them. And it's not just a factual note that they are there speaks to the value, the dignity, the privilege 
they shared as followers of Jesus Christ. No, they were not apostles. Neither were Jesus' brothers, who were also mentioned as being in the room with the apostles and the women. And we know that during Jesus' earthly ministry, his brothers did not believe. Perhaps his appearance to his brother James, which we read about, had convinced them all that he was who he said he was and who the Scripture testified that he was, whether, whatever, 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 had brought them to faith, they were in the room now with the apostles and with the women. They were together with them, followers of the Lord. And what were they all doing together? The text tells us they were devoting themselves to prayer together. They were busy petitioning the throne of God together. You see, at the throne of God, our unity is clearly manifest. For the God who hears the prayers of the men also hears the prayers of the women. The God who hears the prayers of those who followed Him from the beginning also hears the prayers of those who just became followers. At the throne, we who have put our faith in Jesus are reminded that our God hears the voices of all His children, male, female, young, old, rich, poor, at the throne, I don't have special privileges over you because of my gender, because of my age, because of my position, because of my race, because of my class. At the throne, our unity is manifest because God hears all our voices together. He hears us because Jesus has opened up the way to the throne of grace, we come boldly and we come together knowing that our God hears us no matter who we are. The apostles were leaders of the church, but they were not the only ones who God listened to. Did you hear me this morning? (laughs) They were leaders, but they weren't the only ones that God listened to. And it was this devotion and corporate prayer that gave shape to the life of the early church. And this, of course, isn't going to be the last time we see this corporate prayer at work in the book of Acts. All through the book, we'll see it. And so, it should give shape to our lives together as God's people. Even the replacing of Judas here was bathed in prayer. The apostle Peter standing up on behalf of the whole group and praying, God, help us make the right choice here. Help us do the right thing here. And though Peter was praying, though he was the one praying, everyone was sharing in that prayer and affirming, yes, God, we want you to work and do what only you can do. And what happened? Their their corporate prayers were answered. And if we want to be united, if we want to be united, then we have to learn how to pray together. Did you hear me? we want to be united, then we have to learn the value of praying together. The work that we are called to do, brothers and sisters, is not human work. It's God's work. And since it's God's work, we need as the church to spend time petitioning the throne of God for what we need to carry out the work of witnessing for Him in this world. I was glad to hear as I was interviewing to come here and in last week's congregational meeting that there's a prayer team. A group of people devoted 
to doing just that, petitioning the throne of God for what we need to be as faithful people in this world. And I, I'd encourage you, if you're looking for a place to serve, consider that team. Now, I know you're thinking, Pastor hasn't plugged my ministry yet. Don't worry. I have lots of sermons to go. I'll get to your team too. It's all good. <laughs> I just want to emphasize today the unity the unity, part of our unity is in our praying together, in our learning how to pray together. So look for opportunities. We ought to look for opportunities to pray together, whether on that team that I just mentioned or in life groups or in your other ministry teams. Don't just devote all of your time to planning and preparing. <laughs> I know it's a good Presbyterian thing to do, right? You got you to make sure all your plans are, are decent and in order. I, I get it. Planning and, and preparing is, is important. It's an important part of the process. But, but, but this is God work. This is, this is not just human work. So you need to spend some time, some seasons, petitioning the throne of God and asking Him to lead you and to guide you and to fill you with His Spirit to do the work that you're planning and preparing. Amen, people of God. <laughs> Spend seasons in prayer before the Lord, asking Him to help you do the work He's called you to, to, and do so remembering that it's not just the eloquent who are called to pray, or the educated, or the influential. The Lord hears all of His saints as they cry out to Him, from the voice of the young to the voice of the old, from those with clear speech to those without, from those on the margins to those who are not from those in positions of leadership to those who are not. Invite everyone on your team to pray. Amen, Amen. Amen people of God. So our unity in part comes from our praying together, our petitioning the throne of God together as His people. Our unity also comes from the fact that, also comes from, our, from the Spirit of God. We are united in the Spirit. We are united in prayer. We're united in the Spirit. Listen again to the words that we find in chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We have a unity demonstrated in our call to pray together, but we also have a unity rooted in the Spirit of God who has been given, listen to my words, each, given to each one of us. The Spirit has been given to each one of us. And that's the point to be driven home here, if you will. Notice particularly verses 3 and 4 of the text, the divided tongues did not just fall on the apostles. I'm going to say that again. The divided tongues did not just fall on the apostles. The Holy Spirit did not just fill the men in the room. <laughs> Rather, if I'm reading the text right, Doc, <laughs> it fell on each one of them. It was given to the men and to the women alike, apostles and other followers alike. They didn't get different spirits 
more of the Spirit wasn't poured out on one over the other, the same Holy Spirit, who is, the one, who is one Spirit, was poured out on them all. And all of them were given the ability to speak, all given the general call to declare the mighty deeds of God. Yes, yes, we have different roles and responsibilities in the church. Yes, we are each of us given different spiritual gifts as the Spirit administers them. But it is the same Holy Spirit that is at work in each one of us. The pastor doesn't get more of the Spirit than the elder. The elder doesn't get more of the Spirit than the deacon. The deacon doesn't get more of the Spirit than the layperson. Everybody gets the same Holy Spirit. the same Holy Spirit who was poured out on each one of us. Yes, offices and gifts differ, but not the presence of the Spirit in us. And what if that were truly grasped and believed in the church? What if you really believed that every single person in the church had the same Holy Spirit on the inside of them? What if you actually believed that you weren't more important, more special, more gifted, more powerful, more influential? What if you just believed that the same Holy Spirit in you is in the person next to you who has named the name of Jesus? What would happen in a church? <laughs> where people truly believe that the same Spirit was at work in each one. Peter, later in explaining these events, is going to remind the people listening of what God had declared in Joel, in the book of Joel, that a day was coming when God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh, and that His sons and His daughters, the young and the old, male and female servants, would receive that Spirit to proclaim the mighty deeds of God in this world. What then would happen in a church where we believe that God's Spirit was in each one of us? Listen to me. The same Holy Spirit that empowered the apostles in their work is in you if your faith is in Jesus Christ. You're not just reading about something that happened back then. The same Spirit that empowered them over 2,000 years ago is the same Spirit that lives on the inside of you. It's not a different Holy Spirit, it's the same Holy Spirit. We haven't learned yet, still, that the Spirit is no respecter of persons. <laughs> if your faith is in Jesus, the Spirit of God lives in you, and you have a role to play. That's what that means. That's where I'm going. <laughs> if the Spirit of God is in you, you have a role to play in the church. You have gifts that have been given to you by the Spirit for the benefit of the church. Our unity comes from the same Spirit being inside of us and all of us putting to work and fanning into flame the gift that the Holy Spirit has placed on the inside of every one of us. Everyone received the same Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit lives in you if you're a believer. And so, if you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. And if you have the Holy Spirit, then you've been gifted together with all His people to bear witness for Him in the world. So, don't buy into the lie. Do not buy into the lie that ministry is for the professionals. Do you hear me? That only the skilled or educated or charismatic or influential can do this work. 
the Apostle Paul tells us, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. You have, if your faith is in Jesus, you have a spiritual gift. You do. So don't sit on it. <laughs> don't suppress it. Use it. In the coming, the coming days, months, we want to think through ways to help you discover how God has gifted you. But you don't have to wait for the leadership of the church to pray and act. You, 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 don't have, you don't have to wait for the leadership. You know what you can do? You can pray to God. And you can say, God, show me how you have gifted me. Show me how you want to, me to use those gifts that you have placed inside of me. God, show me where you want me to serve. Show me where you want me to show up and use my mouth and my hands and my feet to serve you in this church, in this city, in this world. I believe that you have gifted me, so show me. Can I tell you? God's not going to close his ears to that prayer. He will hear you, and he will answer you. He will lead you to the place that he wants you to be of service. Amen, people of God. Getting connected to one of the ministries may be the very way in which you discover what you are, in fact, gifted at doing. So I ask God to show you where he wants you to get involved in proclaiming the mighty deeds of God in this world. But more than anything, don't receive the lie that you have nothing to offer the body. If your faith is in Jesus, the body of Christ needs you. Did you hear my words? I didn't say the body, I didn't just say the body of Christ wants you. The body of Christ needs you. Because listen to this, the body of Christ can't effectively be the body of Christ if you have gifts and you sit on them. We actually can't do the work that God has called us to do to the degree He wants us to do it unless everybody actually takes those gifts that God has given to them and puts them into practice. What if you actually believed that you were not just called to be in the room, but that you were called to be a part? What would happen in a church where everybody was using their gifts and not believing that it was all on the, quote, professionals to do the work. Amen, people of God. So if your faith is in Jesus, the body needs you. It's not just the body of Christ. It's not just that we want you, we need you. Each member, Paul says, belongs to the others. We can't be effective with all, all the parts working together. And you see that in this, in this you, you see it in what's demonstrated in this text. All of them were given the gift of the Spirit, and all of them spoke in other tongues, and all of them declared together the mighty deeds of God. It just wasn't one part of the group, but the whole group. All 120 of them were together proclaiming the mighty deeds of God to those around them. <laughs> Amen, people of God. So they were united in prayer. They were united in the Spirit. And lastly, and I'll get out your way. <laughs> They were united in message. They were united in message. 
after receiving this unifying gift of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the believers in that room, they begin to speak in other tongues. And we discover uh, from reading the text that the tongues they spoke were actually languages. They were languages that, had, that, that they had no previous command over until the Holy Spirit came upon them, but they were, they were known languages of the day. In other words, they didn't know how to speak these languages until the Spirit of God came upon them. And we discover from the crowd's reaction that the languages these believers were speaking were the languages of these Jewish pilgrims and converts to Judaism uh, from among the Gentiles who had come to this festival, who had come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival of Pentecost. And they weren't just hearing, they, they weren't just hearing the common languages of the day. The miracle was that they were hearing their home language, uh, the language of the countries from which they had come. Uh, when I was a pastor in St. Louis, we had a large French-speaking community and, and, uh, from, from the Congo, many of them from the Congo, other places as well, but they all spoke French. But French was not their home language. It, it was the common language that everybody in that region spoke, but it was not, it was not their home language. There were many different tribes who actually spoke many different languages at home than just French. Your home language is different from a common language. You might say that your home language is more like a heart language, the language in which you most accurately represent yourself. A group of us were joking the other day that the language we speak at home among our family is different from the language we speak in the office or in public. Can I get a witness? <laughs> we might all speak English, but at home, depending on where we are from that, depending on where we are at home, that English language morphs. The syntax changes. The, the, the rhythm changes. The, the, the expressions change. The reason is that your home language is, and your heart language is different from the common language. I'm, I'm going somewhere. So, so here's what's happening. That day as the crowd heard these believers speak, they heard their home language. They heard their heart language. They heard the mighty deeds of God in their own language. And they found out that day that God not only speaks Greek, that God not only speaks Aramaic, that God not only speaks <laughs> Hebrew. <laughs> they found out that day that God speaks the language of every single human community on this planet. There is no language that God does not speak in which He cannot declare the mighty deeds about Himself to that people. You need to hear that this morning. God don't just speak your language. He speaks the language of all the peoples of the earth. I like to think, Dr. Washington, that if God was in New Orleans, <laughs> he'd know how to speak your language. I happen to know that in the hood of St. Louis, God can speak the language of the people there. And I happen to know that he can speak the language of every single person in this room. 
and make himself known to you, not just at the level of your common language, but at the level of the language of your heart. Amen, people of God. And so they heard these mighty deeds of God. They heard them in their own language. There was a sermon preached that day, and the theme was the mighty deeds of God. Listen to their own words. They were all amazed and astonished, saying, are not these all who are speaking Galileans? Watch this. And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Listen, that day the church, the church was on message. The church was on message. Through the power of the Spirit, they were declaring the same truth about God. They, they weren't fighting about whose speech was more important. They weren't fighting about whose speaking skills was, were most impressive. They weren't even fighting about the content of the message, whether or not justice is a kingdom calling or not. I'm just saying, they, they, they were on message that day proclaiming the mighty deeds of God in a unified way. Somehow, the church that day was on message. And I just have to believe that it's possible that if the Spirit was at work in His people in that day and helped them to be on message, that He could actually work among His people in this day and help us us to be on message as we proclaim the good news about our God in this city and abroad. I got to believe that, that it's possible for the Holy Spirit to work among us and help us to proclaim the mighty deeds of God together. Amen, people of God. And that's our call. It's what we have to fight for in the Spirit, the ability to stay on message, to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God that has come in Jesus, and proclaim it not only in the language we're comfortable with, but in languages that are not our own, that will reach the communities and peoples around us. <laughs> this unity and message, declaring the mighty deeds of God, you know what it requires? It requires humility. It requires humility. If you know the story of the Bible, then you know even in the, in the early church, there were going to be times and places where the saints were not going to be on message. And so Paul spoke to the church in Galatia about this, right? And his confrontation with Peter was around Peter's actions, which were not in line with the gospel. We get off message. We do. We get off message. We get off message as the people of God. We start thinking that God only cares about the thing we care about, the thing we want to say, the thing we want to proclaim. We do. I believe, I believe, in fact, that a lot of the current conversation in the church is an attempt to say we've been off message. We've been off message for some time. Some of the things that were always meant to be a part of our preaching, always meant to be a part of our teaching, because it's in the Word of God, it's been ignored. And we got to bring those things back into our proclamation of the mighty deeds of God, the good news about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And to the degree that we're talking about, you know, reconciliation and justice in the church, many of us are trying to say, let's be on message. 
not because there are, those are the only things we need to be talking about, but because they're a big part of the message we're supposed to be proclaiming. But being on message, being on message, it requires something from all of us. It requires humility. The humility, watch this, to sit under the authority of God's Word and not my own words. To sit under the authority of the whole counsel of God and not my own counsel. To be willing to read the Scriptures, the Word of God, and let it speak to me. Let it tell me what God is saying versus me trying to tell it what it needs to say. Amen, people of God. It's not about what I want to hear. It's not about what I want to say. It's about what God wants to say through us about the kingdom of His Son. And that message is actually here in the Word of God. I preach reconciliation because it's in the Bible, not because people in the culture are talking about it. I preach justice because it's in the Bible, not because people in the culture are talking about it. I preach sexual morality because it's in the Bible, not because other people in the world are talking about it. I preach about how we are to live our lives together as the people of God in unity because the Bible tells me that's what I'm supposed to talk about. I preach these things because they're in the Word of God. I don't preach them because I just feel like I need to say something because people in the world are talking about something. I preach these things because God says this is what He has come to do. He has come to bring His people together from among all the nations of the earth and to teach them how to walk in His righteousness in the world so that the world would know that He is God and that they might come to Him and serve Him and bow down to Him and worship Him because He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords because there is no other God. Because the President of these United States is not God. Because the, the, the person sitting on the throne in Congo is not God. Because the person sitting on the throne in another nation is not God. I preach what I preach because the Bible says preach it. I tell people all the time, you don't have to say amen. That's all right. The Bible keeps saying it. Amen. 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 Amen, people of God. We've been united. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus died for our unity, for our union with Himself, and for our unity together as His people. And that unity is what you and I are called to live out and give expression to in this world. Amen, people of God. So that unity is meant to give shape to our lives, and I just gave you three aspects of it. It's unity in prayer. It's unity in prayer. It's unity in the Spirit. The same Spirit is on each one of, in each one of us. And it's unity in message that we are proclaiming the mighty deeds of God in the world around us. Amen, people of God? This is what we're called to. This is what Jesus calls us to. So let's walk in these things. Amen, amen, and amen. Let me pray for us. God, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. We give you thanks. We thank you for your word and for how you speak by your word through the power of your spirit to our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that the things that are in keeping with your word that I have spoken this morning, that your people would receive it, that they would lay it up in their hearts, and that all of us together would do that and practice it in our lives. So bless us this morning. Bless us, bless us, bless us. 
to be a church that is united in purpose, united in prayer, united in spirit, united in message, that people might know that you are God and there is no one beside you. In Jesus' name, amen.